and welcome. This is Books of the Year. Uh, your friends at Books of the Year, the podcast, are in the podcast studio and wishing you a happy new year. Yes. Al- although... <laughs> although we don't wish people a happy no, no, new no, year. No, no, no. No, we do. But after a while, thinking, really? You're still on that? Yeah, no, no, no. I think you can. I think you can get away with happy new year until, I'm going to say, mid-January. After that, it starts to sound a little forced. Uh, but I think I, I think where we are, we're in the sweet spot right now where you can right? still say happy new year and it's okay. Yeah. Well... In which case, what he said. Uh, an email, now, we've got an email here from Neil in Dublin, but it could be Niall. But I'm aware that it, it kind of depends on, like, uh, the historian Neil Ferguson. Yes. Is written Niall. And everyone says Niall Ferguson, and he says it's Neil. Uh-huh. So, but it's got two L's at the end, so I'm going to go yes. with Niall. I've got, I've got nephew called Niall, stroke Neil, and he pronounces it Niall. So let's go okay. with that. Okay. Well, Niall in Dublin wrote to Books of the Year at yahoo.com. Dear Book One and Book Two, this is Niall Kavanagh. Yes. Also Neil Kavanagh. Neil. Thanks for the John Boyne episode. I really enjoyed it. I thought the chat was very interesting. also enjoyed the Q&A as well. Uh, as you know, the Q&As arrive uh, just a few days after the main uh-huh. interview. I just finished Stig Abel's novel, Death Under a Little Sky. Have you come across it? I thought it was very good. Looking for your 2024 recommendations. Uh, Niall, thank you very much indeed. Yes, uh, Stig sent me a copy of the book. We just didn't squeeze him in. No, unfortunately. Yeah. Apologies to Stig. Yes. (laughs) I mean, we will try next year. Um, Mark from Nottinghamshire got in touch to say, I wondered how many listeners, having discovered a new author through your podcast, have then revisited the author's back catalogue. Having thoroughly enjoyed S.A. Cosby's All the Sinners Bleed, I have since read a number of his other novels, including My Darkest Prayer, Blacktop Wasteland and Razorblade Tears. They're all terrific reads. I'd highly recommend them. Thanks again for such an entertaining podcast. Am I right in thinking you've you've also read uh, a few of his... uh... Well, the truth is, after we did All the Sinners Bleed, I then ordered Blacktop Wasteland, which Uh has arrived, and I haven't read it. Oh, right. Okay. But... You know, it's there taunting me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I basically as soon as I have got through the mountain of books uh, in, in my box at home, then I am getting through S.A. Cosby's back catalogue definitely. Here's a missive from Val Green, dear Page Turner and Slow Burn. Happy New Year to you both. Just wanted to email to say how much I enjoy your podcast. Yeah, I discovered it during lockdown. Worked my way through all the episodes, and now I never miss one. I've read a considerable number of the books you've discussed. Of course, the joys of lockdown when you had to contribute with. <laughs> <laughs> from my Wi-Fi. Terrible <laughs> internet connection. Anyway, last year, says Val, I read on your recommendation, Damascus Station, Hitler yeah. Stalin, Mum and Dad, You Are Not Alone, and I have The Figurine and A Bird in Winter reserved at the library. Good work. I spent my Christmas book token this week on a Christmas book token. Imagine, still I didn't know it still going. Val's got one. Yeah. Anyway, he spent it on Nazar by Matt Miendi. Having so heard it's Matt Nazare from- by Matt Majendi. But that's, you know, I mean, close enough. Well, <laughs> if you're coming across it... For the first time, that's fair enough, isn't it? Yeah. Can I not... So I can't have it as Nazare by Matt Miendi. No, no. Nazare by, by Matt Majendi. Okay. On hearing Matt's enthusiastic response Yes, and it. it is very good. It's well worth your time. I'm so happy you've spent your book token on that. Like you, Simon, I'm not keen on serial killer books, but you have convinced me to read All the Sinners Bleed after mm. all your very positive comments the paperback is out in february however i'd be grateful if you could suggest a few duff titles this year as well because (laughs) otherwise a my bookshelves will collapse and b i'll be bankrupt 
Uh, NB, thank goodness for libraries. The best idea ever. Love your podcast. Love the conversations and recommendations. Keep up the good work. Yes, obviously, the library is the place to go. Yeah. Uh, if you're finding books a, a little bit pricey. By the way, if you're finding books pricey, don't go and buy a book in Iceland where they it's like six, literally six times the price. Really? They love their books. And they are, I suppose they're all imported, so... Is this, am I right in thinking, I think you've said this before, is Iceland the place where they give books at Christmas? On yeah, Christmas and then Eve? you go to bed, eat chocolate and read books. That's their idea of And Christmas, Christmas and, and books in Iceland are, are like really expensive, so that's seen as a bit of a, a luxury. It's a luxury be, gift, yeah, I suppose, yeah, yeah. yes. Anyway, Val, thank you very much indeed. If anyone else got a Christmas book token, it might just be Val. I didn't even know you could do I that. I didn't think they were still going. That anyway, is great news. Uh, get in touch, booksoftheyear.com. Also let us know what you think of the books that we recommend, the books that you would recommend, the books you definitely don't recommend, because it would help Val, yeah. and Val doesn't need to buy them. <laughs> booksoftheyear.com. We're also on Twitter at Books of the Year, and on Instagram and threads at Pick Any Page. Uh, let's talk to journalist and author, our special guest this week, Araminta Hall. Araminta Hall, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's quite exciting being a January book. I mean, because everyone starts with kind of expectations for the new year. Maybe they're going to apply for a job or they're getting a new job or, you know, they've got some resolutions and something. But you, you are starting right out of the traps. It's our first book of the year with one of the good guys. Is that like nervy for you? Well, I mean, every time I have a book out it's incredibly nervy and I just feel like hiding under a rock so I don't think it makes any difference if it's January or November or whatever I don't know I've had books out at all different times of the year and actually my first novel came out um 13 years ago and it came out on exactly the same day that this book has come so out everything so and nothing everything and nothing yes yeah. so I feel like maybe there's some sort of serendipity actually I think it is quite a good time because you well I feel so flat in January normally and it's something really exciting to look forward to and I don't know but it is that it is that I mean I was having this conversation with my editor it is that juggle isn't it between thinking oh no one's going to be buying anything because everyone's just spent so much money on Christmas and Everyone's just sort of got their head down between that and, yes, it's a new year and maybe people are excited about things. Um, so I don't know. On a personal level, I've quite enjoyed it because it's given it's sort of exciting at, at a bleak time of year. But um, and it sets you up, I suppose, for like a summer paperback, maybe, which is always a good thing. <laughs> See, there's a lot of advanced planning going on there. So a lot, of, <laughs> yeah. an awful lot of things because people, I think overwhelmingly people just think, oh, there's a book out. I, maybe mm. I'm going to buy it. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm going to get it from the library. Maybe I won't. But yeah. the, in the world of publishing, an author's going, do you want to be January? Well, you don't want to be October, do you? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't want to get, because you can get lost in that kind of flood. Yeah. Uh, books, but January, I agree with you. It does feel like a good time because we've had enough of the. I know about the great books of last year. We've had the you know the best ofs and all that kind of. Yeah. So here we go with a brand new book. Exactly. And it's called One of the Good Guys. It's by Araminta Hall. Matt described the cover, and Matt always describes the cover of books, but this one seems particularly significant. Yes, I think it's a very interesting cover, this. So uh, dominating the front cover, you have a uh, a man. Uh, now, we can't see his eyes, and I think that's significant, but you've got a man who's wearing a an apron uh, with a, uh, it's a birth 
test. Pregnancy Pregnancy test. test. <laughs> Otherwise word, known yes. as. Well yeah. done, Matt. Already <laughs> tripped up. Uh, so he's wearing, a, and he's got uh, the pregnancy test peeping out the top uh, pocket. Uh, but he's also carrying a tray with a meal and a rose and a vase and some rosé <laughs> wine. Isn't he great? Uh, and he's wearing his Oxford blue shirt and... And an got, apron. And an apron, yeah, got the apron. And uh, Araminta Hall in, in uh, pink at the top. Um, and one of the good guys uh, is in white. And good and guys both have been sort of torn, sliced apart on the on the front cover. And then Gillian Flynn says, daring and intriguing. Lisa Taddeo says, absolutely thrilling. And yes, I don't think anyone looking at that cover... Th- I'm, I'm, I'm interested in your thought, but anyone looking at that cover thinks, is he one of the good guys? Because my instinct is looking at that, <laughs> no, he ain't one of the good guys. Well, I think that um, if you're picking up a thriller and it's called One of the Good Guys, you don't actually think you're going to be reading a right. book about one of the good guys. But actually, that said, he he is he does genuinely believe he's one of the good guys. He's not. Don't they always? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, well, no, actually, I think that I think that thrillers are often populated by men who know that they're bad and they are manipulating and gaslighting and they want something um, nefarious. I mean, Cole, the the good guy in my book, um, or supposedly good guy in my book, um, he wants nice things, supposedly. You know, he wants children and a happy marriage and um, uh, he wants to be supportive to his wife and he doesn't, you know, you're not going to find him down the pub with the boys on a Friday night. You know, he's going to be there cooking your supper or whatever. So uh, uh, sort of ostensibly he wants what we would perceive to be good. But um, I think that, I mean, obviously there's a lot more to the story than um, just me telling the story <laughs> of a nice guy who's <laughs> making That would be great, wouldn't it? If I it mean, was... that would be... Yeah. Well, no, he's fine. <laughs> One of the good guys, yes, and he's, yeah. he's just concerned, you know, and that's and that's the end of the three hundred pages on that. Yeah. So, well, so it, more broadly, then, and we'll take our lead from you because it it is a book that's sort of it's quite difficult to talk about in any kind of uh, detail. We'll take our cue from you. Give us the broad sweep. Yeah, I where mean, your story takes it. That is, I have learned this in the last couple of weeks of doing promotion for this book. It's almost impossible to talk about, which is not great. Um, but it is, um, it is the story of um, a man whose marriage has um, ended, and he's retreated to the like a remote area of the south coast of England to sort of lick his wounds and start again. And he's always wanted to leave London and go back to nature and. Um, sort of be a man of the land so he's sort of living those dreams and he um, but he's absolutely devastated by the end of his marriage and he just can't understand what went wrong because he was this good partner you know he did all the things that he thinks women say they want Um, and when he gets there he meets um, living on the like in a sort of really dilapidated cottage right on the edge of a cliff near to him is um, he meets this artist, this reclusive artist, and she seems so nice and she seems very receptive to his good guyness. <laughs> and um, they sort of start this friendship. It's not a relationship. They start, sort of start this sort of friendship that's sort of in on the verge of morphing into a relationship. Um, and then meanwhile, there are two young women who are doing a coast-to-coast charity walk Um, raising money for a domestic abuse charity and trying to raise awareness about male violence. And um, as they get too near to where Cole and Lenny are living, they just disappear without a trace. And in that way, 
that the media just goes completely mad when a certain type of woman disappears. It becomes this huge um, national story and... Um, Yes, yeah, like yeah, it just becomes a media frenzy. So, um, what, do you, what do you mean by a certain type of woman? Well, I mean, I th I say it in the book. I think there is. I think that you know, when you look into missing women, a lot of women go missing um, every week. I mean, every day, pretty much. There's, um, you know, on average, a couple of women go missing a day in the UK. And um, but it's always the certain. I mean, it's sort of you know, white middle class hopefully under 40, looks good in a picture. It's that type of woman that attracts those sort of huge headlines where they, you know, they'll knock wars and, you know, recessions off the off the front page. And I find it, I just find it quite troubling. I mean, the, I mean, I find it troubling, obviously, that so many women go missing in the UK, but I find it also troubling the way we... Um, commoditize those women or the way we choose certain women that we're going to um that we that we care about and then actually do we care about those women because the way we talk about them isn't in a caring way it's um you know where the media will normally be digging into their past and um you know there's a lot of victim blaming goes on and it's it's a very troubling relationship I think we have with the idea of the missing woman let me ask you, first of all, then, about Cole, because that's where the books... Well, actually, interestingly, the book starts with a Facebook post. So I want to talk yeah. about social media a bit later. But the, what's fascinating about the first sort of section of the book, where we're introduced to Cole, is that... Let's forget the cover. You know, and Matt is absolutely right. You look at that and you go, hmm, don't think so. Yeah. I wouldn't trust him. No. <laughs> and look, his hair is all... Yeah, yeah, Everything yeah. about him. You go, Ugh, no, I don't think so. But it's your writing. And even though he's saying... Uh, we, he isn't because it's first person. He's not saying anything that you'd look point to and go, "There's a wrong one." But there's a tone, mm -hmm. increasingly through what you write, that makes us think, "Hang on a minute." You say that you're mortified at the end of your marriage. You say that you're one of the good guys, but this doesn't feel right. And I'm interested to know, did that was that quite easy to write because it's very it's very nuanced it's very subtle but you i think every reader will go oh hang on page 6 page 7 page 8 mm, i'm un, i'm unhappy in your company but i hope that i thank you for saying that because that's exactly what i tried to do and no it was not easy to write i had i mean all my books have about a million rewrites anyway but this th that section had a lot of rewriting because it was quite strange i I think when you're creating a character, you know, you, you want to get inside them and you know them so well and, you know, otherwise you're not, it's not, you're not going to put them on the page effectively. And, but the interesting thing about Cole was I think I know him so much better than he knows himself, which is a really interesting, I don't think I've ever been in that place as a, well, I suppose you're always in that place as a writer because you've created the characters, but it was I, there were so many times, so many things that I would write and then I would think, oh, no, no, that's me. I'm telling myself that. That's Cole doesn't know that about himself. So there was a lot of um, a lot of his reactions. He'd have a reaction that I was like, no, that's not the reaction he'd have because that's somewhere deep inside him. That's the reaction he wants to have. But actually... He he's he's he is he is completely conditioned to be the good guy. So he, you know, he he doesn't even have to think about it anymore. He just is that person. So 
um, well, he isn't that person, but he, he, you know, he, 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 he plays that person so well that he doesn't even have to think about it. So he wouldn't get angry. He wouldn't actually think, I hate her for this, or I'm so angry with her for that, you know, all these thoughts. So, yeah, I mean, that, that first section I rewrote and rewrote and rewrote. <laughs> I think, I think you've, um, really hit on something here because it would have been, it would have been a completely different book. And I think a, a worse book if you decided we have, we have decided that Cole is a bad guy. And and also that everything he does, we know straight away. Ah, yes, of course, that's yeah. what a bad guy does. There's something um, you've already touched on this, but there's something very late in the book. And obviously, I'm not going to do any spoilers here. But um, you have a character say, "Men like Cole have not only made the world believe they're good; they believe themselves to be good as well." And you've already said that you know there was no point in writing a book where Cole knows he's a baddie, and we know straight away. Oh, of course, right? Because yeah. and we've all we've all seen those sort of thrillers where you like. Oh, right, okay, obviously mm-hmm. this this one's a wrong one. But as Simon's already pointed out, as you're reading that opening part, you're like, there's red flags coming up all the time. Particularly the, the number of times he says, I'm one of the good guys. Yeah. You're like, no one says that <laughs> yeah. if they are. If yeah. you're one, you don't say that. So I, I love the fact that you've decided I'm going to turn this on its head and I'm going to have someone who genuinely believes I'm actually... You see all those other blokes, they're a nightmare and I get why they're a nightmare, yeah. but look at me. I'm I'm the one that's... I'm, I'm your ally. I'm the yeah. one that's going to help you through this. And straight away that's a red flag if someone's saying that <laughs> yeah. it's a red flag well it's yeah it's it's really interesting isn't it because i guess you sort of there is that it, it, when i was writing i was getting that strange feeling of what what actually is the answer here because um cole he does he does want to be an ally to women and he does believe that the things he do are, does are the right things but i think it's that thing where society is so structured towards you know sort of that straight white male you know and it feels awful saying that because it's like I think just because that's how society has been built by a certain type of man and the thing about this is that this is not just a book for you know like for women or whatever it's it's you know, I think it's Caitlin Moran who said that, isn't it? That, you know, you have to smash the patriarchy, not just for women, but for 70, 80% of men as well. It's it's like, it, it's doing all of us a disservice. And so I think Cole is almost a victim of our society. In, in I mean, you know, he's made some stupid, terrible choices and I'm not defending him, but he's he's also a victim of not really understanding where he fits in. And I do think that this is something that we're seeing very much. I think, I mean, there is a part where Cole actually says, you know, I know historically it's always been hard to be a woman, but my God, it's hard to be a man right now, which is obviously a ridiculous thing to say. But actually there is is a tiny little element of truth in that where I think it is hard sometimes to know where you fit in. I mean, obviously the answer to that is... um, you just are genuinely nice and you don't force people to do things they don't want to do. But I think that's where Cole's problem is, is that he's grown up in a world of privilege um, just simply by who he is. You know, I mean, he's not from a rich family or anything like that, but just from who he is, he's grown up in a world of privilege. And I think when you are the most privileged person in a society, it's very difficult to then think about not getting your own way in certain things and that, that that's sort of what I was trying to explore in it is he delusional I, I mean yes he's delusional in that he but I don't think he's mad I think that's letting him off the hook I you know he 
he hasn't, I think Cole's actually biggest crime is that he hasn't, he doesn't take responsibility for himself, which I think is a really, I think it's something you see in a lot of people. Um, and um, I think it's very, I mean, I think we see it in our politicians in, you know, hugely at the moment. Like no one ever says, oh yeah, I made a mistake. I think we, it's, it's one of the reasons that I, I wanted to include so much social media because I think, you know, the world is becoming so polarised and you have to take um, sides and you have to be so careful not to offend people and, and you know, people get shocked and offended so easily. And I think it's um, created a, a world where people are stopping taking responsibility. And I think that actually taking responsibility for yourself and your actions is the way to have a successful relationship, you know, and that's romantically or work or socially or anything. So I think that's Carl's biggest failing is he doesn't, he doesn't think about himself and his actions or he doesn't learn. He doesn't, you know, he never learns anything. <laughs> there are other, uh, plenty of other elements in this book that I want to explore. One of them, and this, so there's always a point in a book where, particularly in, in a fictional book, where uh, you will think, is that actually, have you sort of snuck in, have you smuggled in something that's actually true that I'd never known before? And this is completely separate to what we've been talking about. Okay, <laughs> so the artist that we've already talked about who's living in this sort of Coast Guard house mm. um, right on the cliff face, there's a section where she says that um, you have to have, if you're in a Coast Guard house, you have to have one window looking only to the land because otherwise you'll go mad. Yeah. Uh, in other words, if if all you can see is sea, you're gonna go you're gonna go mad. And I as I read that, I thought I bet that's true. But I'm gonna be also very impressed if you just made it up. So so is it is that something that you came up with yourself? Or <laughs> I what? made that up. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I mean, Sorry. It absolutely <laughs> it made sense. Not. It absolutely made sense. It did. Well, it made sense to me because I I walked past those cottages quite well. I mean, not literally the cottage I based it on, but um, I walked past a section of Coast Guard cottages. It, it's quite neat. I live in Brighton, and the, where I was, where was I? Where I was imagining it had taken place is a walk I do quite a lot, and you walk past these Coast Guard cottages, and they've just constantly fascinated me. So I've thought about them a lot. <laughs> I've thought about living in them a lot as well, and what what it would mean. So um, yeah, I don't know if that's true. I think they have windows that look out over the sea actually so i think it's entirely false that <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> the um one of the things that i think is an is a a problem for writers is working out how to put social media mm. into their story because obviously it's an important part of the way lives are lived and you have written in a number of different styles uh, in this book there are social media posts from good old Twitter from back in the day. I wonder if the paperback will change that to, oh, to X. Um, but it, it, the book starts with a Facebook post. Um, there are Later on, there are podcast scripts, two hosts chatting away. I mean, that's never, <laughs> never going to catch, gonna catch up. <laughs> also, there's um, an arts, uh, like an arts review uh, from the Times, the Sunday Times. Um, the arts review, kind of, that's, that's a fairly timeless thing that people have been doing. Mm. But... Did, was it something that just just came naturally? Was again was this something that was quite difficult because when so much of our communication takes place via social media, it's important to get it right. Absolutely. And there's a lot of it in in your book. Tell us about why there is so much and how you went about writing that. Well, 
it was sort of a, it was a process because I I knew I wanted to do that in the third section because I felt like I just felt it's it's an arena that women are judged so harshly on still you know there's no regulation and there you know I I I guess something is going to have to happen regulation wise I I was listening to a program on radio 4 yesterday about how um Apparently, if you're a gamer, and it's like almost impossible to be have a female avatar in the metaverse because um, you're just constantly um, exposed to sexual violence or threats, or you know, on and and I feel like that's what social media is feels a little bit like that. You know, I'm not a huge social media user actually, so I that was the part of the book I had to do the most research for and. I mean, things like Reddit. I mean, I I mean, I knew it existed, but I'd never looked at it. I mean, it's terrifying. You know, you are just uh, the misogyny and the hatred for so, women. So tell us just... the difference then between. So you write some Twitter posts, yeah, tweets as they used to be referred to, um, and then and then there's Reddit. So explain what the difference is as, well, from your point of view. How I understand it is, Twitter is a more. Um, I think you have to be, I guess, prolific users of Twitter would have to be much more careful. I know there are platforms, there are bits of Twitter, which I saw where people are just arguing and hating on each other. But I think if you have a, at all a public persona or you work for anybody or you're, you know, you're promoting anything, like everybody's quite calm and they sort of, they say the right thing or what they perceive to be the right thing. But somewhere like Reddit feels a little bit more like the Wild West. Like you can really post what you think there. And um, there's just... I was, I mean, I wasn't shocked, I suppose, but I, I knew, I mean, it, it was quite sobering to see the, like, the reams of men hating on women and, like, in a really extreme way. You know, I got into all that sort of red pill stuff, which I had not heard of before, which I put in the book, of, um, which apparently is a reference to the Matrix, where you yeah. take the red pill and then you... Um, you see the world as it is. And of course, these men believe that when you take the red pill, you realize that feminism is a giant plot and every woman is out to get you. And I mean, it's 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 quite terrifying. And um, there's that Am I the Asshole um, thread, which I think is the longest running thread on Reddit, which is, it's mainly men saying, am I the asshole for, you know, I mean, these, you know, ridiculous things that they've done, which again, I've put into this book a bit. And I, so I just... I, I, I felt like there's a whole section of this world that's obviously used hugely by people. And we're sort of unaware in a sort mm. of like liberal elite book reading world. You're slightly unaware of how ugly and horrible it is. And it it's scary because it makes you think, is that what people really think? Like, I was having this conversation with some female friends the other day and, you know, I was a teenager in the 80s or I was, no, I was a young woman in the 80s and I, um, you know, it was just accepted that men would touch you on a train or, you know, they would make a lewd comment to your face and um, or they would, yeah, you'd be in a nightclub and they'd pin you against a wall, you know, behaviours that now you are, would, you know, would be so shocking and you would be able to call a train guard or call the police or whatever. But it's it's made us all, you know, we were talking about, is it that actually men have stopped wanting to do this or is it that they just know they can't now? Because it was 
an everyday experience, you know, when you're a young woman. It, it was just completely, and I spoke to my mother about it, and she was like, my God, you had it easy. We used to literally have to run from people, and, you know, people would, you know, do much worse things. And so so it's interesting because you think, why, why has that behavior always been so prevalent? You know, are, are we only stopping now because it's, it's we're in a public, a more public sphere, and then you look at places like Reddit, and you're like, oh, <laughs> it's not stopping. Mm. It's just, it's just gone underground, really, and unfortunately into houses. I think. So, but but viewed from the point of view of writing a story and mm-hmm. publishing a book, yeah, is it difficult to incorporate? Because obviously, in any in the telling of any story, and um, you've mentioned your other uh, one of your other books, but when you're when you're writing other stories, it's all a, you know it's pace and character mm. and dialogue and all, yeah. all these things that you have to consider. When you are changing the typeface and when you are putting in Facebook and Twitter yeah. and Reddit, is that something that you think does this does this speed this up? Does this slow it down? How, how many is too much? You know those kind of conversations. Is that you on your own? Is that you and your editor saying? Uh, that was, too much, too little? Yeah, no, I mean, I was really scared about that. And I didn't, and I was sort of a bit, at the beginning, I was quite um, nervous, I think, about doing it too much. And I thought, oh, is it going to be really naff? And like, you know, we've seen it before. And But actually, it was my American editor that she just said to me, if you're going to do this, you've got to be really brave about it. And she was like, how you need to think about it is you should in that section in the because the final set you know in the third section she was like tell the story through the social media bits you know advance the plot that way and then use the bits that Lenny is telling us um to you know about so she's so the we, woman in the cottage yes yeah. the woman in the cottage so that we understand and we we know why this thing has happened and it was such good advice actually because it's it meant that i only used well I, I I had to use social media not just to highlight the, the theme but also to actually I had to use it to tell the story and then it became sort of easier in a funny way it was sort of it, it gave a structure to it that really helped me so so uh, you've, I was going to ask you something else but you've just said something that I'm, I'm interested in so you, you mentioned that your US editor had, mm. advised you to do something so obviously you've got a British editor as yeah. well so are you, are you are basically are you going to both of them for advice and one of them you take or or how does it how is that well work? i mean my british editor is my first editor so she so she bought the book first and she obviously we went through edits together and she had you know there were loads of things that she suggested um and then um and then it we i didn't have a deal in the us when um at that point um, but I, I, she was she she's been my editor for three books, um, my UK one. Um, so when we felt like it was ready, it went out in the US. And then um, luckily, her both my US and my UK editor, you know, got on well. And everything we just ran everything past each other. And the book was in quite a good state, so it didn't uh, at that point because obviously it had been in the UK for so long. So it it didn't change structurally or anything like that. There were just there were some 
points like the social media thing, I think, was one of the biggest things that the US editor brought to it. Um, but yeah, it was just a really collaborative process, which is just really lucky. I mean, I guess if you have two editors that don't get on, it would be horrendous. But um, that didn't happen. So it's all good. So I, I, the question I did want to ask is about is about Mel, who we've not yeah. really talked about that yeah. much. But Mel is, I suppose, the she is the wife of Cole, yeah. that those they, they've separated. And Cole is, as we now know, is, is living uh, near to this uh, cliff face and uh, and um, and that's how we we encounter him but before the events of the book he's been living with Mel and there is um, without giving anything away basically this this relationship deteriorates mm-hmm. and there is a section where Mel and Cole and this is this jumped out to me uh, as I was reading it uh, they are in a restaurant and it is very clear by this by the point they go for this meal in the restaurant we all know, as the reader, we know this relationship is over. It is going, it's dead. Um, but there is this one section where uh, they're having a sort of, we all recognise anyone who's been to a restaurant and has seen a couple who are clearly not getting on. And uh, one of them's looking at their phone and they are not talking. And it is screamingly obvious that things are going badly. Um, Mel says, a woman at the next table stands to go to the toilet and I follow her progress through the restaurant so intently I can't be sure it's not me making the journey. When she disappears from sight, I think it's me that's gone and I'm overwhelmed by the sense that the real me is lost within the bowels of this awful restaurant. And it jumped out to me because it was like every essence of my being wants out of not only this restaurant but out of this relationship. And I thought, oh my God, you've managed to just just with that you've managed to tell me so much of of showing me how this woman has decided this is go- i just want gone if i could click a button right now that said bloke in front of me disappears and restaurant disappears <laughs> i'd flick it right now yeah well thank you <laughs> that's very kind of you to say that um yeah i mean i think i just think that you know you've been married a long time or whatever you just we all know those feelings you know and obviously for mel she is um in something <laughs> worse than most people are um but I think also it takes a long time to leave marriages and and to and to realize what you actually want doesn't I mean I think you know Mel is sort of at that point in the story she's I mean she's not going mad that's too much of a that's an exaggeration but she's she's so distressed she can't um she can't act I think that's I think that's true at the breakdown of any relationship that's been you know it's gone on for a while it's really hard to make the decision I think we've all felt that haven't we that there's sort of yeah you know like you never you're never sure if you're doing the right thing and of course when you're with someone like Cole who is constantly telling you that the you're not exactly sure of how you think and that the way that what he's doing is so good um it's really hard And, you know, on the surface, everything he, it is all so good. And he's not, you know, he's not doing anything awful to her. That's the the key, isn't it? Because she's saying, you know, all my friends think that he's great. Yeah. And so maybe I've got it wrong. Maybe maybe I'm wrong because everyone else thinks this guy's great. Yeah. And and it it was that point in the restaurant where you go, oh, no, right. You're absolutely right. Because we as the reader have also been unsure. We're like, maybe, you know, even though what we've said already, this guy keeps saying he's a good guy. Red flag, red flag. Yeah. But... 
we are still unclear until that point in the restaurant we go yeah click the button get out yeah but although she doesn't immediately does no. she because i think it's and i think it is actually that's another you know going back to what we were saying before about this you know the societal sort of pressures on everything it you know he does he is better than a lot of her well not better than i mean i'd take her friend's husbands over him any day but <laughs> Actually, when you sort of put it down to, you know, when you sort of are doing a tally of what's good and bad. And I think um, my editor wanted to put a, a tagline. She joked all the way through it. She was like, I want the tagline to be um, being a, there's, it, oh, I can't remember exactly, but she was like, it's such a low bar to be a good man. You know, she was, and that that sort of idea that you can get away with so much and um, you can just sort of present in this good way and it's really confusing then for a woman to work out exactly what's going on i wonder if it's quite a good thing that you don't do a lot of social media because all those people <laughs> you were talking about they're not going to like they'd hate they'll hate i me, don't yeah. think i don't think they'll like it what was the what was no. the spark for the book was it did it come from you meeting a coal or no the Coast Guard cottages was well, that was the start i think it, there was a couple of things it was um it, it was it's just something, you know, I've been thinking for a long time about that. I'm not, I'm sort of disappointed by me too. And, you know, it feels like, I couldn't put my finger actually on why I felt so disappointed because I was like, you know, the laws have changed and politics have changed. And yes, you know, you can't go into your boss's office now and have your, you know, him say something weird of her if you're bum grabbed and, you know, they'd, they'd lose their job. So I was like, what, what is it? And then actually I was doing that walk. Um, that I was talking about passing these Coast Guard cottages and there's a woman who lives in one of them and I was sort of looking at them like I always do and thinking about them and thinking like oh my be the most amazing setting for a novel and then I was thinking I mean does she live there alone like what happens at night you know because at night there's no there's no road to these cottages you know I was just thinking I would be so terrified and anyway I think that night I went out in Brighton which of course is a busy bustling city and I walked home and it was sort of 10 o'clock at night and you know it was not it wasn't it wasn't deserted but as I was getting to my house you know I, I turned onto a desert you know onto a completely empty road and there was a man walking behind me and he did that really nice thing of like crossing the road and overtaking me so you know I, I felt completely you know I knew he wasn't a threat but I realized that I felt unsafe walking around a, a busy town you know and when my teenage daughters go out at night I don't actually go to sleep until I hear them come in and all those things and I just realized god that is sort of uh, the fundamentals of all women's life is that that thing of you're always a little tiny bit scared or you're always planning your route or second guessing something it's I mean it just lives in the back of all women's minds and I just thought goodness that is that's I think you know when is that going to change? You know, that is such a fundamental sort of human right to just feel safe. Some, you know, I mean, which I know that so many people in the world do not feel safe, but I just, I just, it felt like actually we can change as many laws and everything as we want to, but until we change that fundamental thing, and I don't know what the answer to that is, because how do we reverse everything i mean you'd have to redesign cities you'd have to do there's so much that you'd have to do but um i don't think gender relations are going to be equal until women do feel safe on the streets which or inside their own homes i mean that's the other 
thing that so many women live with fear inside the place that we all, you know, is meant to be our security. So that those were sort of the things that sparked it for me. <laughs> so there could be a, a plaque on the wall of the Coast Guard cottages <laughs> saying one of the good guys started here. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. That that anyway. Do you know what you're doing next? Yes, I've... Um, Don't I'm tell sure. me you've already finished it. No, I haven't. <laughs> no, 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 I have not finished it. No, but I mean, but as you know, you know, you give a book in and you, I mean, you know, the, the book that you, the book, when the book comes out, it's a good year since you've yeah. done anything on it. So obviously I'm quite deep into the next one, but... Um, um, it's sort of, um, oh, I don't know. It's a bit more, my next one is a bit more about the whole idea of privilege. I've been sort of more thinking about the people who govern us and, and you know, and how that and how and how maybe that is responsible for the way that society is set up. And um, well, obviously it is, but I mean, you know, how, you know, how sort of fundamentally it is and how that feeds into gender relations and all that. So it's a little bit more like that. Okay, so that'll. I'm guessing that's not that's sort of end of next year. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, nowhere near to <laughs> having a date for it. Uh, Araminta Hall's latest book is One of the Good Guys. Araminta, thank you very much. And the podcast, which will land adjacent to this one very shortly, will have the Q and A and more with Araminta then. But for now, thank you very much. Thank you. 